Hey, good morning. Two announcements. Uh, announcement number one, this Saturday at six, there's a Thrive, and it's open to any age for a couple. So young, medium, old, doesn't matter. It's gonna be from six to eight. There's gonna be some uh, discussions, about three of them. And then there's gonna be a panel up here that will take questions. And the topic is sex and intimacy. It'll pack it out. That's all I need to say. Done, that's done. There we go. Advertisement number two. <laughs> uh, we're doing a school called Rogue Christian Academy. And tonight at 6.30 right here, there's going to be the, every question you have will be answered. And if they're not, we'll be around to answer more questions. So we'll give the vision on why we're doing what we're doing, why classical education, are there scholarships, what's the cost? We're gonna to try to cover everything possible that you have on Rogue Christian Academy right here, 6.30, come uh, ask us good questions. We're gonna look forward to what God's gonna do with Rogue Christian Academy. So this is kind of the kickoff and it gives you guys the vision um, and a lot of the, the small like details will be there as well. Um, after it's done, the, the, there's a great board. It's unbelievable. God has put together an a, incredible school board, three kind of full-time people that are leading the charge right now. And all of us, myself included, will be out in the lobby to answer questions, to talk. So come 6.30, Rogue Christian Academy. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the good works that you have prepared in advance for every single person in this room. Thank you that you've given us a mission that's full of purpose, that transcends the day-to-day. -day. I pray as we study through Nehemiah and we look at an uh, example of someone that walked that process out well, hearing a problem, getting a vision, his spirituality, his practicality, I pray that you would be equipping each one of us to be plugged in, to be incorporated into a body and then contribute to the kingdom. So speak, may we listen, and we ask this in your name, amen. So have you ever heard of no risk, no reward? You heard no, nothing ventured, nothing gained, nothing attempted, nothing attained? So we have all these kind of statements. My girls' soccer coach, Dennis Hart, used to say to them all the time, you miss every shot you don't take. You can dribble all you like and do all these fancy things, but the goal is to get a goal. So you gotta take the shot. At some point, you have to pull the trigger. You have to take a risk. Isn't life full of risk? When you decided to get married, was that a risk? Oh yeah. That's why we need Saturday, because it was a risk. You just don't know. You put a ring on her finger and she goes crazy. He gets the ring on his finger and he becomes your dad. You're like, what happened to you? What happened to the guy I was dating, right? It's a risk. You decide to have children. Is that a risk? Oh my goodness. You outsource all of your joy and all of your emotional health to a tiny human that has an undeveloped brain. Every handle in your house will be sticky. 
right? The fridge will just be crusty. Like, what happened to my house? Your car will never be clean. Okay, it's a risk. Life has risk. We're starting a school. Does that have risk? Oh my goodness, gigantic risk. At some point, you've got to take a risk. So when you're given a problem and God starts to work on you to get a vision for that problem, at some point, if you're going to revive and rebuild yourself, your marriage, your life, a town, a city, a state, a culture, at some point, you got to say, okay, I got to go now. I got to take the shot. So we're in Nehemiah, and we've seen in chapter one, he hears about a problem. It affects him greatly. He prays and he fasts for over four months. But then in chapter two, in chapter two, he's gonna push all of his chips to the center of their table and say, okay, let's go. All right, let's go. And for each of us, at some point, if there's a vision and God has something for you to do, you're gonna have to take a risk. You have to take a step of faith. You have to push everything into the center of the table. So let's look at this process, brilliant process by a leader, how he does this. Nehemiah chapter one, chapter two, verse one. The first thing you gotta do is risk exceptionally. In the month of Nisan, every pastor I listened to said, it comes right after the month of Toyota, but I won't say that because it's stupid. So... I won't do that to you. <laughs> in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been damaged by fire? First of all, you have to risk exceptionally. You gotta throw the Hail Mary because you just don't know. So if you don't know about Nehemiah, if you're new, Nehemiah is the cup bearer of the king. So his job was to taste test the wine before the king drank it because people might wanna poison the king. So that was his job. If Nehemiah did his job right, guess what? He'd be dead. Performance review, he died. Great job, Nehemiah, right? That's his job. And the king could at any time want some wine. So it meant this, Nehemiah was one of the closest people to the king. He was constantly around the king and the queen. 2,500 years ago, kings were very careful with their queens. And if you had a male that was around all the time, guess what typically happened to a male around the queen all the time? castrated. He was probably a eunuch. It's why we don't hear about a Miss Nehemiah or a Nehemiah Jr., right? So I'm not sure I want the job. Performance, good performance, you die and you're probably castrated. Not the best job in the world, but Nehemiah had it. And here's what he knew about the king. The king is a brutal individual. We're told it's Artaxerxes. 
History tells us that Artaxerxes got the throne by killing his brother that deserved the throne. So he is a ruthless dictator. He's so bad, he doesn't live in Babylon anymore because it was too dangerous. He actually lives in Susa, a citadel that's outside of Babylon because he's worried about his life. He's a brutal dictator. That's why Nehemiah here says, when the, queen, when the king asked me, I was very much afraid because he could lose his head. He could just be killed here. Power does that to people, doesn't it? Like you get super powerful and then you begin to just kind of, even good people can happen too. So Elon Musk, if you've been following him with Twitter and all that, perhaps you saw the story came out February 9th. He had his two top engineers of Twitter in with him and he's saying, hey, why are my numbers on Twitter going down? I'm not getting the retweets. I'm not getting the stuff that I used to get. They've been falling over the last nine months. One of his two top engineers said to him, you know what? You're just not that popular anymore. And he showed him a graph of showing his popularity. What did Elon Musk do? Did he say, hey, thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. No, he said, you're fired and fired him because that's what happens, right? You get powerful and you just kind of do what you want. 2,500 years ago, these kings could do anything they wanted. So whoever was around the king, you were always on eggshells. You were happy. You were positive. You were encouraging. You laughed at his corny jokes. You complimented him all the time. That's what you did. And Nehemiah had done a really good job at this because he said, I had never been sad in his presence up to this point. I would fake it till I made it. That's the way Nehemiah had done his job. For decades, he had been faithful in his job. I think it's very hard to do great kingdom work if we haven't done a good job at our job. I think it's impossible if we don't have a good reputation. People won't trust you. Nehemiah earned this question from the king because he'd never been sad in the king's presence before. He'd done a super good job year after year after year of faithful service. And the king's like, hey, this isn't normal. He didn't come in as Eeyore all the time where the king's like, oh no, Nehemiah again. No, he'd done a great job. And he had earned this question. And when he's asked, it's like Nehemiah can't hold it in. He explodes. How can I be happy? when the city of my father's graves is torn down and in ruins. And I can almost see Nehemiah like, uh-oh, am I gonna lose my head? Because the king can do that. At some point, you gotta risk. The question's asked and you gotta risk it. Okay, I'm pushing it all in. He risks here. But number two, he plans diligently. Look at verse four. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. How fascinating. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Plan diligently. Now, Nehemiah, we've already seen, is a prayer guy. The moment he hears about the problem of Jerusalem, he falls down and it says he prays and fasts. That lasted for over four and a half months. 
So he is a prayer guy. Right here, the king asks him, and even before he asks, what does he do? He sent up, I call it a little text prayer. Just a quick little, okay, Lord, help me. Give me the right words right now. Prepare me to say things correctly. I love that. I'll say this when it comes to vision that God has given to you. Number one, I think Nehemiah shows this. Number one, if prayer is not required for your vision, it's not big enough. It should be so big and so overwhelming that you know, man, unless God shows up, this isn't gonna work. Prayer, if prayer is not required for my vision, it's not big enough. And then secondly, if I want God to answer my prayers, I better be willing to be part of the answer. Nehemiah is willing to send me, I'll do it, right? So Nehemiah is willing to be part of the answer to God's prayer. And he plans. He's clear and he is concise, right? Verse five, he gets one sentence for this king. That's it. If God has given you a burden and a passion and a desire, right? And you've been praying about it, but you have not planned, you're gonna fail. Nehemiah has planned it out. He has it super simple. It's crystal clear. Send me to Jerusalem to rebuild my home. He has a clear, concise vision, one sentence. I think too often, maybe you've talked to people like this. I'll talk to them. They want like God's guidance. They, they have a vision, they, they have a burden, they have a plan, but they're not clear and concise. I call it, they're questioning and crazy. They'll say, hey, you know, I just think God's putting something on my heart right now. And, you know, I want to talk to you about it. Great. What are you requesting? Well, I'm not really sure, you know, I, I think maybe God has some plan for me and I don't really know what it is. And I was talking to my aunt and she was a missionary in Uzbekistan and she was gardening one day and I was talking to her. And when she was in Uzbekistan, she grew grapefruits. I love grapefruits. Do you like grapefruits? Yes, I do. Well, anyways, and so I was talking to her and she was telling me about like missionary work and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know, you know, I think maybe I'm called to be a missionary, but I don't know, what do you think? Not clear, not concise, right? This plan had been prayed over and diligently summarized in one sentence. Please send me to Jerusalem to rebuild my home. Clear and concise. Not broad and like, I wanna save all the orphans in the whole wide world. Okay, how do you do that? Where do you start? What does that mean? When God puts a burden on your heart, Pray until you get a vision. That's one sentence, clear and concise. In 2023, I am praying that God gives me the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every one of my neighbors, clear and concise. I am praying that God raises up 50 respite homes for grandparents who have taken on foster kids, clear and concise. I'm praying that God in 2023 gives me a city in rural Oregon that I can go plant a church in, clear and concise. I'm praying that we get $1 million in one month, clear and concise. Nehemiah demonstrates it. And after you've been burdened, after you know there's a problem, pray until the vision is clear and concise by planning. But he also knows what it's gonna cost and what it's gonna take. Look at verse six. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? 
So it pleased the king to so it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress and of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of God was upon me. Artaxerxes is a get to business guy. He doesn't want like questions and craziness, right? He's a get to business guy. How long, how much? And Nehemiah had a plan. He's like, I've been to Home Depot. I've been to Diamond. I've been to Fields. I've figured it out. I know a route to get across there. I realize that it's going to be an 850 mile trip. So I've taken CrossFit to get in shape for that, right? I've got it. I love that. I know exactly what it takes. I've compared the prices. This is how long, this is what it's going to take, King. And this is crazy because what Nehemiah is asking is for 12 years off from his job. It's going to take him 12 years. I need 12 years, King. That's nuts, isn't it? Maybe in America, it's not nuts anymore because people probably ask for it all the time. Yeah, I need 12 years off and you need to pay me, right? Back then, that's nutty, right? I want to rebuild a wall. I want you to pay for it. I want you to give me 12 years off and I want you to make me governor of that city. That's crazy, right? This is nutty. He's nutty. Either, when you make a request like this, you are either committing suicide or you have heard from God or you're on drugs. Those are the only choices you have. Nehemiah had heard so clearly from God that he boldly planned and knew exactly what he needed to ask for. I need money, I need lumber, I need to build a wall and I want you to pay for it. It's amazing. And the king said, okay. A little side note on Nehemiah. And you'll see this develop in his character. He is this great balance of spirituality and practicality. He's the beautiful, incredible balance of both those things. I think sometimes pastors and church people or individuals, we can just be too spiritual. So Ezra, and I'm not picking on Ezra, but Ezra had gone over to Jerusalem decades before. He had a passion. He had a burden for the city of Jerusalem. He went over there. Does anyone know what he built? He rebuilt the temple. He's like, we just need a temple. We just need a place to worship. That's all we need. Is that all they needed? No. What else did they need? A wall. Why did they need a wall? Because people are getting mugged on the way to church. They're bringing their lambs for a sacrifice and they're getting killed and the lamb being taken from them. Right? So it was too spiritual. They weren't practical enough. But Nehemiah, he's brilliant. He's spiritual and he's practical. Beware of just being too, too spiritual, right? We just need a place to worship the Lord. What about bathrooms? We will hold it for Jesus. Really? What about a drinking fountain and snacks? We will fast for Jesus. Really? Where are the kids gonna go? They will sit at the feet of Jesus with us. Have you done that before? That's not fun, right? What about an HVAC system? It's freezing cold in here. If you keep complaining about your flesh, God's gonna send you somewhere that's really hot, okay? Right? It's just too spiritual. It's pray, chapter one, plan, chapter two. That's what we're supposed to be doing, both of those things. 
I think a lot of people strike out with the vision that God has given to them. It's given, no doubt. And they got a great vision, but then they fail to plan well. You plan as much as you pray. That's what you do. So Nehemiah prays and he plans. He weeps and he works. He's got his Bible open and he's got blueprints as well because no king wants to hear some nebulous plan or some emotional reply. What the king wanted was, give me a clear, concise path to success. And that's what Nehemiah does. We have kings today, people in power today that we gotta go in front of. If we want things to change, we gotta have a clear, concise plan. Whether it's the PTA or a school board or county commissioners or a city council or a state representative or a whatever, have a solution. Don't just talk about the problems, come with a clear, concise vision, just like Nehemiah did, right? So he has risked exceptionally. He's planned diligently and then know this, be ready for this, be okay with enemies. Look at verse nine. Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. How crazy. Then skip down to verse 19. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant, the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? You are rebelling against the king. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Be okay with enemies. There are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light and a kingdom of night. There's a kingdom that is based on Jesus as authority, and there's a kingdom run by Satan. And when God acts, Satan reacts. And be okay with that. Part of what should guide your vision is a reaction from the dark side. Because guess what that means? You're doing something good here. Fighter pilots, when they don't know where a target is, they'll, they'll decide, they'll know when the target is getting close. Guess when? When they start taking shots, hey, it must be close because now we're getting fired on. And when you're getting fired on, you know you're getting shot. You know that you're getting close. When you're getting jeered at and despised, hey, you're getting close. What, you put a fish on your truck? You're one of those fish people. When the late night comics are making, late night comedians are making fun of you, when there's memes about you, that's good. And you're gonna notice in the book of Nehemiah that he is the aim. Because when you call the shot, be ready to take the shot. If you're gonna step out and risk, 
If you're the front on this thing, you're gonna end up taking shots. Happens to me. So two years ago, two teachers at North Middle School decided, hey, we can't take this anymore. And they stood up and they started taking shots. So I made a video. I said, hey, I stand with them. I agree with exactly what they're saying. And about a month after that, I've already told you this story. I'm in town and a local pastor's like, bro, I saw your video. I said, what video? He goes, the nasty one from Lewis and Clark College. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, don't you have Instagram? I said, I have no social media. It's why I'm so happy all the time, <laughs> right? He's like, let me show it to you. You're way too happy. So he showed it to me. And it was a picture of me being burned in the fires of hell with these little excerpts from messages I said. And every time I would say something, it'd be these giant words, lies, lies, lies. I'm like, man, how many messages did they have to listen to to get that? I love that. Ha ha. And it was all done. I just said, according to that great philosopher, I said, haters going to hate. I don't care. Who cares, right? If you're going to call the shot, be willing to take the shot. If you're gonna stand up and risk for what's right and for what's godly and for what's true, know you will be criticized and be okay with it. So Nehemiah's response is not, okay, hey, let's sit down and try to talk this thing out. Let's hire a mediator that, and we'll find some middle ground with you guys. No. Do you know why Nehemiah won't meet with these guys? Because they're evil. Back in verse 10, what does it say? I'll read it again for you. It displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They didn't want the people of Jerusalem to flourish. They didn't want them to do well. They wanted to keep them down, taxed to death. They wanted to keep them in danger of being mugged. They wanted to keep them being hurt. They wanted to keep their neighborhoods blighted. You know why? It was good for their business. That their business actually profited off other people's misery. So they did not want a solution to it. I think that there are things today, systems rigged in such a way that they don't want a solution. Because if there's a solution, it's bad for their business. That's what was happening to these guys right here. No, don't help them. Why? Because it'll hurt us. They don't want people to flourish and do well. So his answer is real simple. I am on a mission from God. He doesn't put out, pull out his letter from Artaxerxes the king. He doesn't say, hey, look at the army I brought with me. He doesn't say, I was cup bearer to the king. Pull his rank or his position. Doesn't say, look at all the cash and stuff I have. Doesn't do any of those things. He says, I am on a mission from God. We are too busy to deal with you. Go pound Sambalat. That's what he says. I love it. It's brilliant because here's what he knew. A letter from a king 850 miles away is not gonna help me. Some title is not gonna help me. Cash is not gonna help me. The only thing that will keep us like a lighthouse in the storm, the only thing that will keep us fortified in the midst of this battle, the only thing is to know we have God on our side. We're called to this and we'll be more than conquerors. The way that you stand is not with weapons of the flesh as 1 Corinthians 10 says. No, it's spiritual weapons. I am called to this and come hell or high water, I'm sticking to it. 
I'm more than a conqueror. I love that. Ignore the haters. Ignore the critics. It's what I do. I don't try to explain to them. I don't go put out fires to them. The way that you win is you build the wall, right? This is what God called me to do. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing and I'm gonna do it till it's done. That's the way that you win. And that's what Nehemiah knew. I'm gonna ignore them. I'm not gonna entertain that. I'm not gonna deal with you. I know what I'm called to do. It's concise and it's clear. I have my vision. Pound Sambalat, you have no right, no portion, no reason to be in Jerusalem. Get out of here. What a brilliant leader. We need more Nehemiahs that say, uh-uh, we're not gonna talk to you. You have no part in this. You don't have the same goal as us. We wanna see the people flourish. You don't. No. Be okay with enemies. You know you're getting close when you're taking fire. And then here's what I love about Nehemiah. He's always refining his vision. He, number four, studies diligently. Look at verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me, but the one that was the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon springs and to the dung gate. I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate into the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and I returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were there to do the work. Number four, you gotta study diligently. Jesus says we're to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. That spirituality is not an excuse to be lazy or stupid. And I'm convinced that believers today, we have to be the best educated, most knowledgeable on any subject we talk on because it's the only way you refute the lies. Lies are so prevalent and they're just being repeated and accepted. Well, we better be the ones that study diligently more than anyone else. So Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem. He doesn't post the letter from the king. He doesn't brag about his army. He doesn't say, look at all my cash. He doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't rent out a grandstand and make a big announcement. What does he do? For three days, he just lays low. And then on the night, he goes out and checks the city. If you want to know the health of a city, you go check it out at night, right? You go to 7-Eleven at midnight, go to the health of our city. That's what you do. That's exactly what Nehemiah does. He inspects the wall. He goes to the valley gate. Everyone's like, gag me with a pitchfork, right? And then he goes to the dragon springs and then he goes to the dung gate. What do you think happens at the dung gate? Every city has a dung gate. Even Jerusalem, God's city had a dung gate. He goes to the worst place possible, the dung gate. Where's the dung gate in Grants Pass? how much trouble do I want to get in? Right? Is it Baker Park? Where is it? We've got a Dungate. Every city does. 
Nehemiah doesn't avoid that. He's not like, well, that's too bad. I don't want to go there. Nehemiah's like, I want the best information possible. I want to go to the hardest spot in our city and check it out. I'm going to study diligently. I'm going to make sure I know. Right? He had been told at this point, maybe a year or two before, that the city was burned down, the gates were burned, the city walls were gone. But he doesn't take people's information. He goes and says, I'm going to collect my own. I'm going to inspect for myself. I heard it, but I'm going to verify that this thing is true. I want the right information. I think Christians get a black eye sometime when we don't verify information. We're not checking up. We're just accepting what somebody says. We should be just like Nehemiah, getting the best information we can. When we decided to start a school, I started just getting books. Got Thomas Sowell's book on schools. Brilliant. I knew it'd be informative, but it's actually inspiring. I got the Michaela Community Trust book. Just, hey, let's get information. Let's make sure we know what we are talking about. Let's get our facts in line because I don't want to be a black eye on Christianity. I don't want to say something that's wrong. I don't want to say something that's a miss. I want to make sure what I am talking about is factually true. I'm going to study diligently. Studying is not unspiritual. Christians throughout history have been students because we know the world that we've been given by God is one of order, that he has created order. So we should be those that are finding his order and turning chaos back into the order that he wants. And it happens by studying diligently. And here's what we know about Nehemiah. He started that wall so well in those three days, he actually moves the ancient wall to a new location because it was so broken up. We can't even rebuild this area. We got to move it to a new spot. He studied diligently. Brilliant, risk exceptionally, plan diligently, be okay with enemies, study diligently, carefully, and then inspire others with a God testimony. This is the last thing Nehemiah does in chapter two. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Inspire others with a God testimony. Christians are the most unique people because we live in this tension. On the one hand, we have a hope that God defeated death, that Jesus, God in the flesh, crucified on our behalf, went into the tomb, and three days later, he blew it up, and he is alive, and he is king, and he rules today. That's our hope right there. Oh, is anything too hard for God? No. But on the other hand, we're realists because we know we don't live in Eden anymore. There are real problems. We're not in paradise. That there's real enemies. There's Sambalats and Tobias. That there's a serpent that still seeks like a roaring lion who he can devour. And he does it all the time. He steals and he kills and he destroys. So we're, we have this tension, right? God's got this power, but there's also this wickedness, this evilness that's rampant on our earth that we live east of Eden now. So what do we do in that tension? We do testimonies. What's a testimony? 
A testimony is when God breaks through that tug of war, when God wins and we see it. And this is exactly what Nehemiah does. Man, you wouldn't believe it. I heard this problem, I prayed and fasted, and then all of a sudden this king asked me this question, I answer it, and he goes, gives me millions of dollars, makes me the governor, gives me an army, gives me all this timber and stuff, I can't believe it. And they're like, okay, let's build. That's it, how powerful are testimonies, right? And some Sunday mornings, we'll start, maybe it's something that we prayed about as a community of faith four months before, and we'll give testimony. And Chad Hansen, his superpower is testimonies right? He just gets you excited. Let's go. Let's build. And we need them. We need to be inspired that God breaks the tug of war and we win over and over. So for me, just coming to this church is such a testimony to me because you may not know this. Maybe you're new, but in 2005, when the church got launched, the first place I went and looked at where I said, I would love to have a church was right up here. I said, man, God, if only this would be amazing. So I checked with the city and the city said, no, churches cannot be built in industrial land. So I just marked it off. Okay, we're not going there. But if you're an old grants pastor, you know that in 2008, we had this crazy city council that got recalled, remember that? But right before they lost their jobs, right before they're done, their final meeting was the city manager at that time, Frazier, came and he brought this document that was going to tighten the rules on industrial land because he didn't like the Bear Hotel, people meeting in the Bear Hotel. So we want to make it no assembling at all on industrial land. And so that was what he put forward to this city council. But they're on their way out. They're short timers. They're like, forget that. In fact, we're scrapping all the rules on industrial land. Anything can happen there. So get a call. Hey, you can buy that land. And I said, let's do it. So we bought it, right? How brilliant is that? Like, I can't believe it. I just come in and look at like, oh my goodness. I tell their pastors, I have the hardest competition every Sunday preaching. They're like, what do you mean? I compete with God. It's hard, right? And I love it. Then this facility, a miracle that this place is. Like we didn't have a big ad campaign. I had people come to me and say, hey, if you hire us, we'll take 10% and we'll guarantee you we'll raise this amount of money. I said, I just don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that. I see a clear, concise, one-sentence vision. So I had it. I need $1 million in one month to build a church. And miracle of miracles, little grants pass, $1 million in one month, right? I didn't tell you guys, yeah. I didn't tell you guys, like one person said, you gotta tell them just not to drink coffee and use that money. I said, I will never tell Edgewater not to drink coffee. I know the boundaries. I'm not doing that one. <laughs> no placard to put on your fridge, no thermometer, none of it. It was just, hey, we need a million dollars in a month. And God showed up. It's a testimony. Mark and I will at times, we'll just laugh. Because in 2005, we could have never imagined this. It's exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ask or think for God's glory and for my personal joy. I'll come in here on Tuesdays sometimes and I'll just sit in here and I can't help but smile. I come in, I just smile. I'm like, are you kidding? We are in Fruitdale Elementary School. Are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. What happened in the tug of war? God won. That's testimony. Nehemiah gives a testimony here. Look, when our vendors came in here to put in the audio visual and that kind of stuff, they were from all over, Nashville and Dallas and all these places. And guess what? They were taking pictures of this place. 
Wow, we've never seen a building like this. This is unbelievable. We wanna do the same thing in Dallas. And they're talking massive churches and little grants pass because God flex for us, right? God flex for us. Maybe God's put a burden on your heart, a vision. Man, like Nehemiah, pray and plan. Pray and plan because then you'll be part of the next testimony. Then you'll be part of the next work God does. Then you'll see God flex for you. Pray and plan.